time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program this hour. We're going to be talking about how to have stuff uh, without breaking the planet, as discussed in a new book called Fixation by professor and entrepreneur Sandra Goldmark, who joins me now by phone. Sandra, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, one of the things I, I, I didn't mention, because I didn't want the introduction to get too long, but you are, in fact, a prof- uh, professor of professional practice in theater at Barnard College, where you also serve as director for sustainability and climate action. Um, something tells me you're the reason that there is a directorship for sustainability and climate action. <laughs> yes, I, I do have a lot of hats at Barnard, um, and I guess that I am, I do wear that hat because I was very passionate about climate action, and also because, unfortunately, our external events are pushing almost every organization to tackle this, so a little bit of both, I think. <laughs> now, I want to talk about some of the different things that, that people can do to continue to be uh, to, to consider to consume and collect stuff the way we typically do here in in America, but um, but first I want to talk about the timing of your book a little bit because you had just pretty much finished the draft, and um, and then the pandemic hit, and and then the draft came back for the edits and you know the typical things that go on with getting a book ready to publish. And and you were kind of re-examining your whole existence. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Along with the rest of the world. <laughs> Fair point. Um, but it, it's got to be a little bit of a challenge um, to, to try and put a book out with all this going on. But more importantly, what... How does the the pandemic and and the changes that people have experienced in their lives make them more or less likely to follow the advice in your book? 
It's a good question. So just to sort of contextualize for people, yeah, I wrote the book. I turned in my draft. I believe it was February of 2020. Um, and then, or late February even. And then, the you know, they send it back to you for you to check. And that was early April. And I live in New York. So in that month of March, I mean, everything was different. Like the whole world had had turned upside down. Um, and I remember receiving the draft back and thinking, my God, is this, is this even relevant anymore? Can I really write a book about stuff and consumption and how consumption relates to climate change in the COVID era? Or is it just completely, you know, should I throw it away? <laughs> or, or I guess recycle it. Start over. <laughs> right. And I, and I, you know, I really, I, I also was sick. My husband and I had COVID at the time, so I wasn't thinking actually clearly. Like, thank God we recovered and, and we were fine. Um, but it was a very strange month. Uh, and But I'm happy to say I think that, um, especially given, you know, the wildfires in the West this fall, which were so devastating and so alarming, I think it's even more clear now that we, um, we need to make some changes in the way we live both at the small scale and in the large scale. And in many ways, the world is, is forcing those changes upon us. Um, but in other ways, there, I do think that there are some opportunities within the COVID moment for us to think, okay, my life is different now. What, what habits and patterns do I not want to see come back? What habits and patterns can I actually shift here? Um, and it's, it's still, I feel like COVID has still left us in chaos. You know, people aren't ready yet for their new routines or their new patterns, but it might be a time to think and reflect and, and maybe make some, uh, some conscious choices to move in a way that feels good. We, yeah, we keep talking about getting back to a new normal, but I don't know anybody that, that can describe what the new normal is going to look like. Right, and... and and we don't know, but maybe we could describe some things we would like to see, you know, personally or on a bigger level. Maybe that's where we could start. You know, there's a um, a motto that, that comes out of your book that says, have good stuff, not too much, mostly reclaimed, care for it, and pass it on. Um, mm -hmm. We could easily sum up our whole conversation, Sandra, with that motto. Um, what made you think that that there was enough information here that that we needed to know to make a book? That we needed to know to read the whole book. You said, "Yeah, yeah." Well, I guess if you don't want to, you could just go for the motto. I did try to do that. No, no. What? <laughs> but purpose. what I'm what I'm but getting at is is that. You talk a lot about a lot of aspects of this, how we mm -hmm. got into this, uh, you know, sort of mm -hmm. consumer um, habit mm -hmm. um, or addiction mm -hmm. in some cases, and mm -hmm. and um, and and how we have so much disposable stuff. Why not make mm -hmm. stuff well in the first place? Well, I guess as you indicate, so I'm trying in the book to do two things. So the motto that you did, I'm sort of lovingly adapting from Michael Pollan's work on food, because I think he did such a great job of something that I'm trying to do too, which is on the one hand, show the complexity of the problem, right? Or it's not even a problem, the complexity of the situation. Stuff is part of our lives as human beings. It's part of our species. 
Um, it's as central to who we are as our food is. So it's a big topic. And I'm trying in the book to understand that and, and, and acknowledge that it's not actually something super easy to deal with, um, especially the way we live today. We've gotten ourselves into, as you indicate, a very kind of tough place. But at the same time, I'm also trying to boil it down, uh, like Michael Pollan did with food, into something that is simple and some really uh, clear steps that will hopefully resonate for people as something like, oh, yeah, this is simple. This is how, you know, my grandmother uh, made might have fixed things or had a button box or we used to recycle or reuse things in my family. There are some practices that are kind of basic. So on the one hand, we have a very complex problem. And on the other, we actually can do some simple, uh, take some simple steps right now to make it better. And so I'm trying to, to show both of those in the book. There was a, a, a very wealthy philanthropist in Flint. He passed away uh, like 30 or 40 years ago, but he lived to be almost 100. And there's a story about um, his refrigerator broke. And he contacted the company um, <laughs> to get a replacement part. He was going to repair it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have any parts because that model was no longer in production. Mm-hmm. And he was so adamant about repairing this refrigerator. And because of who he was the company, unbeknownst to, to him or anybody else, actually retooled and made a part to send <laughs> to him. And, and right. that's such an odd story and, and probably a waste of money, too. But, um, but, but the thing is, he was from an era where you didn't throw things away. Yeah, and it's interesting because, I, you know, so, so I, I'm not sure we actually said this, but the starting point for this book is that about seven years ago, I began opening repair shops in New York City. Um, I'm a theater person, and so is my husband, and we teach theater and have been practicing, you know, working backstage for a long time. And so we opened repair shops, and we, we um, hired a bunch of fellow theater artists to, to work in them with us. You know, we'd hire an electrician to do lamps or a carpenter or a, a costume designer to help is, with the stitching. Is that because theater people have a little time on their hands? Well, now <laughs> they do, unfortunately. At the, time we, at the time, we had to convince all our busy theater friends to come uh, help us out, and they were super generous with their time. But uh, it is actually another COVID thing that now, you know, as the theater industry has been so impacted by COVID, it is interesting to think what are some of the the way, like what we discovered in our shops was that these skills and practices of theater are actually really still relevant today. Like in some ways what we do in theater is a little archaic, like your refrigerator philanthropist, <laughs> you know, it can sometimes feel like another era, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm handcrafting this, you know, parasol. <laughs> <laughs> but... There is a question to me. I don't think we need to go back. Like, I don't think we can try to hope to recreate an earlier era. That's not going to happen. But I do think that there are practices and mentalities from earlier eras that are incredibly valuable and important and that we do need to bring back. And we do need to find a way to make common again today for the way we live today. So... You know, maybe we're not going to have that old Maytag repairman show up to fix our, our refrigerator 
you know, wearing his little uniform. Maybe it won't look like the same way that it did, but that doesn't mean the practice of repair or frugality or reuse or any of these circular economy ideas. That doesn't mean that they're for the scrap heap. The ideas are really important, and it's a question of how we bring it back. And how did we how did we get to the point where we don't make stuff like we used to? I hear, mm. you know, I used to hear that all the time. Boy, they don't build things like they used to. But but that is true. And how did we get it really here? Is, yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a long, a lot of people, you know, pin it to the post, post-World post War II era and advertising. It actually traces to much earlier than that. Um, it, you can really see it strongly in the 1920s uh, and 30s. Um, it even goes earlier. You can find it in the 19th century. It's all part of the kind of mechanization and industrialization and speeding up, right, of our processes of production. And at the same time, our processes of um, recycling or remanufacturing began to decline. There's a wonderful book called Waste and Want by Susan Strasser, and she talks about essentially the kind of circular economy of the 19th century of how, you know, women would save their rags and give them to the ragman when he came by and he, they would get fed back into the paper mills um, on, on the East Coast. And then eventually those paper mills stopped making paper from rags and they started making it from wood pulp. And so that part of that like a kind of cycle of recycling fell apart. And then, of course, with the, over the course of the 20th century, there were sort of two big pushes to um, sell and sell and sell more stuff. And I basically, what I trace it to is that we have gotten more and more and more into a system where the only revenue stream for manufacturers or retailers is selling new goods. So the incentive to make something repairable gets lower and lower every decade because nobody's offering the services anymore, so they don't have any revenue from service, so it becomes a vicious cycle. Um, And then, as you said, the products get designed to kind of degrade. (laughs) Plant, plant, (laughs) (laughs) planned breakdowns, like like cars who seem to be timed right to the end of the warranty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seems like as soon as the warranty expires, everything goes wrong. Um, Sandra, I have to take a break here in about a minute, but I want to talk some more about this because it's something I'm fascinated by. I'm I'm kind of a cheapskate, but for some mm-hmm. reason stuff finds me. Right. I, I don't have to under the door, I think. Yeah, I don't <laughs> have to buy things. Stuff just shows up. Isn't it, it amazing? It it really is. But I want to talk about our love affair with stuff and how we might um curb that a little bit and and also some of the things that you recommend in your book my guest is uh, sandra goldmark she is the author of fixation how to have stuff without breaking the planet and uh, if you're listening to us on wfov 92.1 fm our voices radio in flint they are a broadcast service of the flint odyssey house spectacle productions and my good friend paul herring we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us at tom 
we have some messages as well so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we'll talk more with sandra goldmark right after this everybody's doing a brand new dance now hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You're thrilled to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, and who can ever forget this all-time classic... Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff Snareplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... 
It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70K. Do it today. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book called Fixation, How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet. She is Sandra Goldmark. Uh, Sandra, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Thank you. Um, Just before the break, I, I was mentioning how stuff seems to find me. Um, one of my daughters once asked her mother, are we rich? And she said, no, your dad gets a lot of free stuff. Um, <laughs> um, but but what is it about this, uh, about our nature? I mean, we have television programs about hoarders, and, you know, there's just this sense that we're almost under an avalanche of our own consumption. Mm-hmm. So I... I think about that a lot because I, too, I call it the fire hose of stuff. I feel like it's sort of shooting at me <laughs> from some external <laughs> source. And, and I don't quite, and I, there was a while I was very frustrated, especially when I had kids. You know, then, they, then the stuff really finds you. So I, what I, one thing I realized is that um, if this is so natural, like sometimes it seems crazy. Why, why do we all have so much stuff or why is there so much clutter? And actually, again, it goes back to this basic human thing. We are... You know, we come from homo habilis. We make tools. It's one of the things that sets us apart from other species. So we naturally like to have it to make it. So it's, I, I like to help people feel less, um, you know, no shame. It's okay. Stuff is a blessing. It can be a joy. But our society has gotten so technologically advanced that we have the capacity to make so much more than we need. And I think it's that mismatch between our our desire or our natural inclination and the, the, the technological prowess of the way that we live today. It, it reminds me a lot of food, right? Like food is a wonderful thing and we need it to survive. But right now we're kind of awash in these really cheap food calories. And I think it's the same thing. We're kind of just drowning in cheap stuff calories um, and it's, it's too much to handle. Well, yeah, I, I, I've been uh, doing what I call boredom eating. <laughs> where where I'm just eating for something to do, not because I'm hungry or I need it to survive. Um, mm-hmm. And and subsequently, I've put on a few COVID pounds. But um, talking about stuff and the stuff we collect, there there is this sense that that over the last century, um, we've tried to, to get our consumption to keep up with our ability to produce. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember I was, I was just thinking as, as you were talking, Sandra, about how when I was a kid, our house had one phone. Mm-hmm. And we had one television. Right, and you have to get up to go to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, my sister and I were the remote control. Um, right. But but yeah, that's that's exactly right. And now we have, um, you know, uh, 
a television in every room and you know we carry phones around with us you know i'm i'm sitting here in my home studio with i i have three phones right and and i and i'm thinking how did how did that how did that get to be because we seem to be pretty content with less I think that one of the things that's happening is we're putting all of our technological and logistical and industrial capacity on towards one thing, which is extracting resources, making new stuff, and getting it into your home. Like all of the, our power and, and genius as a species, not all of it, but a lot of it we're putting into that. And so I think the next challenge is to um, begin to put some of that incredible capacity that we have into um, finding ways to recalibrate the system so that we can actually um, make goods that are repairable and build logistical systems to make it easy for people to fix things, to really facilitate reuse. Like right now, for example, if you wanted a fourth phone, for example, <laughs> you could order one right now and probably have it in your house tomorrow, which is insane, right? If you actually think about it, that's wild. But if you wanted to, let's say you had a phone you didn't need and you wanted to sell it or give it to somebody across town, it's actually much harder logistically right now to get that phone from your house to somebody who might need it or want it uh, literally three blocks over. So how can we begin to build systems where it's just as easy for you to pass something on or sell it or give it as it is for you to get the new thing? or where it's just as easy to, to break down that phone and remanufacture it without using any new materials. We can totally do those things. If we can, if we can get you a phone on your doorstep tomorrow that was made in China, then we can technologically just build something that can be broken down and remanufactured. We just have to start putting some of our um, effort into that. And, and that gets back to something we were talking about in the last segment about um, building stuff to last. Um, companies used to um, pride themselves. In fact, you mentioned the Maytag repairman, and I remember those commercials of this guy sitting around at the repair shop with nothing <laughs> ever to do because the product was so good it never broke down. Um, you know, what, what happened to the pride in that and, you know, this, this sense that we could put people to work keeping those things running so a company could have a revenue stream from the service part of, of exactly. supplying products. We talk a lot today about American manufacturing, and, and we've seen in the COVID moment some of the, um, you know, the fragility of the global supply chain and some of the price we've paid. And I think that that's one part of the conversation. Another part is realizing that things like service, repair, upgrades, those are inherently local jobs, right? You're not going to send your fridge back to wherever it was made. <laughs> it's going to be local. And I think it's a really important part of the conversation as we think about rebuilding our economy, tackling climate change, and supporting local communities. I mean, it's kind of a win-win-win when you start to think about service and upgrade. Um, and it doesn't mean it has to be, again, the old, the, exactly the old model, Um a phone is a good example. What if it, what if you wanted the flashy new camera, like the best new camera for your phone, and instead of having to buy a home and phone, you could just it was modular, and you could just take out the camera and put in a new little module. There is in fact a phone like that. It's not available in the U.S. yet. It's called Fairphone, and it's an amazing product because it's designed 
to give the customer what they want, which is the upgrades and the and improvements, but also give the the manufacturer and retailer revenue over and over again from the same physical object, which is a good thing. Yeah, that seems, you know, that I'm, I'm trying to imagine that because I've been wrestling with trying to get a new battery for the flip phone I still have. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of people make fun of me for that. Um, but uh, in the book, the book is uh, Fixation, How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet. One of the things that we haven't talked about is what happens when we dispose of the stuff that you mm-hmm. can no longer, that doesn't work and you can no longer get parts for, you you can't really repair it, or it was never built to be repaired. Um, I, I see, I, I can't believe the piles of stuff I see on trash day. Mm-hmm. When I drive up yeah, and down really my depressing. street. And, and there's, there's literally like a little truckload of stuff out by the curb. And it's 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 just amazing to me um, what happens to that stuff. Well, I mean, the vast majority of it uh, goes to landfill, frankly, because um, some things can be recycled. Uh, our our example in our repair shops, the classic was um, was printers. We had a really hard time with printers, and a lot of them we just couldn't fix. And then you know. We would sort of take it to a local e-recycler and, you know, they do the best they can. But frankly, the numbers for global e-waste are really low. I think it's really only something like 16%. And plastics generally is 10% that actually get recycled. I'm not telling people to stop recycling. Please keep doing it. But it ha- we have to think about recycling more in terms of um, how can we begin to look at repair and service before we even ever get to the curb and then remanufacturing or recycling. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the no fixes or the things that you see on the curb, it winds up in landfill and then those, you know, materials, those resources are just are just totally lost. Uh, and it is incredibly depressing. And people, it's interesting because even in this kind of day and age in which we live of new stuff, um, people find it bothersome and disturbing. We heard it over and over again in our shops, this kind of gut resistance to the waste that it just, it really rubs people the wrong way. And I think that's a important and a good thing that we can build on as we think about, you know, changing the system is people aren't happy with it the way it is. So we just need to make it easier and possible for people to do something else than dump their stuff on the curb. I, I, uh, I'm always fascinated by people that are able to... Um go off the grid and and live very simply you know grow their mm-hmm. own food they don't have a lot of stuff they don't have television they don't have cable and 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 I and I'm I'm drawn to that but they are just things I can't imagine living without how mm-hmm. do we how do we discipline ourselves to make that list as short as possible you know, it's funny. I might phrase it differently because one yeah. of the things I think about some of this stuff, 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 is that um, it's a lot of it feels very prescriptive or narrow. Where it's like it, people wind up feeling guilty or ashamed because they have clutter or they have, you know, a collection of Kleenex, Kleenex box covers 
50 of them covered with seashells. If that's what floats your boat and makes you happy, like, go for it. There's no shame. There's no, you shouldn't feel bad. It should be, again, it should be like food. You should enjoy it. You should consume good things that make you feel good. And I think, so, for example, things like um, minimalism, if that works for you, great, do that. But if it doesn't, I think it's still possible to have a healthy relationship with your stuff and to live in, in a way that is good for you and good for the planet. So I think it's, for me, the starting point is to not feel like, oh, I'm so bad, I have so much junk. Like, to kind of take that away, for starters. Maybe you need to do a little, you know, Marie Kondo purging and get rid of some stuff. That's okay. That's, that might be the first step, a little cleanse. But after that, um, I think it's okay to understand that stuff is natural, stuff is good, stuff is part of your life, you're a human being, and you can do it better without it feeling like deprivation or feeling um, super difficult. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> it, it, it does, and as you were talking, I was thinking, I have boxes and boxes, literally shelves of boxes in my storage shed out back of cables and chargers and adapters that I might need someday. <laughs> you, At least you're equipped. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And and it very rarely ever happens that I go through the box to find a part I need. <laughs> you know, because I can I can a couple clicks on uh, you know on the internet and I can have one tomorrow. Um, yeah. And so and and then there are the boxes of the things to which I I attach a sentimental value. Mm-hmm. And I have been dragging books and papers and files and, and work product things around with me for years. And, you know, I would love to, to pare stuff down. But I find myself saying, oh, well, I can't get rid of that. You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and it goes right back in the box. Um so that yeah, that might that is that might require a little effort. That might not be quite so easy. And I do think it's important to let go of um, some of that unnecessary, possibly two or three of those chargers or boxes. Of chargers. Right, right. <laughs> but after that, then you will feel sort of lighter, and it's easier to move forward. And so, yeah, there's some challenges, but you don't really need those things. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Useful for that. I really don't, and it seems like. There, there should be a, uh, a a discipline or a checklist that you know you, you look at it and say you know if I haven't if I haven't opened this box and looked through it in five years, mm-hmm. the you whole box is gone. Mm-hmm. I do that for clothing. I, I look if I haven't worn something in a year. I That's think, a great right, example. Not going to happen. And then one of the nice things is that part of the reason sometimes people have trouble letting things go, one is the um, I might need it someday kind of emergency, and the other is the guilt. They feel guilty because they feel like they're being wasteful. They know there's no place for it to go but in the trash. Yeah. Um, so it's like a little double ne- double whammy of feeling bad, and then you're like, oh, forget it. I'll just put it back in the garage. So I always try to think of it as... First of all, if you make your best effort to recycle it or donate it or pass it on responsibly, then you are, you know, you've done what you can. And if you're being really careful about the inflow, that the next time you buy something, you're buying it used or you're buying it, you know, something that was made sustainably and ethically, 
then you can just forgive yourself for those boxes that you had to recycle or those things that you know are going to landfill. And from here on forward, it can be easier and better. But it's okay to forgive yourself. <laughs> I, I <laughs> have, we call this um, stuff therapy in our shops. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I was kind of, I, I was, it sounded facetious when I said stuff finds me, but I, I really wasn't. Um, I have a huge entertainment center in the living room that are all, that's made up of components from surround sound to a large screen TV to, you know, DVD players and and video cassette players, this whole rack of equipment that is all rescued. Mm, nice. And I, I don't think I paid $50 for, you know, what would have been thousands of dollars of stuff new. And so there's an economic benefit to, mm-hmm. you know, um, reclaiming things mm-hmm. for use. Absolutely. And there's so many benefits. So I think we're now on step three. So the little motto goes, have good stuff, not too much. We talked about that, the, the, the fire hose. And then now we're on to step three, which is mostly reclaimed. And this is a really important one because we do, there needs to be some inflow. We're going to buy some things. And if you can buy things used, A, as you said, there's an economic benefit. You can probably get something that's higher quality than you might be able to afford new. And the environmental impact is huge. It's so much better to buy used for the, for, you know, in terms of the new manufacturing and the waste from manufacturing. And it generally supports your local economy. So it's like a really good, if you're really like struggling with how do I feel better about stuff, this is, this, this thing of buying used or buying reclaimed is a, is a kind of easy win, win, win. Um, and it's kind of satisfying, as you said, when you look at your beautiful entertainment unit and you think, wow, I got it used. I saved it from landfill. I saved money, you know. And when you're done, you can pass it on to someone else. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And, um, and in fact, I've got <laughs> literally truckloads of stuff that, <laughs> that I need to, to, to move along. And that's been on my mind a lot lately. Is that a COVID phenomenon where people have been sheltering at home and sort of stuck face-to-face with their stuff? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it goes both ways. I think some people are, are stuck at home and they uh, are like, I need to deal with this. And some people are stuck at home and they say, and it's, they're like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> but either way, I do think that um, it's been interesting. As I said before, I think the COVID moment is still a little chaotic, you know, consumer spending is going back up but it's not totally clear what's happening and um i don't think we've settled yet into into whatever it's going to be and hopefully you know hopefully the pandemic will end soon and then and then we'll we'll see what happens but i i think that sitting at home it has made a lot of people think about what they buy where they buy it how much they want to have um it's been interesting we're not done yet though well, there's there's two thoughts that go through my mind. One one is I've got way too much stuff, but but then the flip side of that coin is if I have to be stuck at home, I'm glad I have a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of yeah. cool stuff. I you know, I have a television. I can I can you know uh, binge watch uh, programming if I don't have anything to do one day. Um, there there's just stuff that I can do. I've got books to read. I've got, you know, and I think of the people in the uh, Spanish flu pandemic, 
1918 who were under very similar restrictions in terms of stay-at-home directives and closing uh, entertainment venues and, and meeting places and all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, what did those people do? For the two or three years that they were wrestling with it. No telephone, no radio, no television. Well, maybe they talked to each other, read books, and played games. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true. We live in an era where we are blessed with a lot of stuff. And sometimes it is too much and it's not necessary. And I guess I think, um, I guess I think it's, I guess I feel like there's not, it's not like there's a right or a wrong level where you have too much or you have, you, you know, you're bad because you should get rid of stuff. I think it's more sort of um, doing it in a healthy way that, that works, and that's where people get a little stuck of sort of um, maybe judging themselves one way or another instead of finding a sort of pattern of behavior that's, that's easier and better, I think. Is, is that what you're hoping that people will get out of the book is uh, a way to find a balance for them? Yeah, and I have a few. One is that that individuals will be able to consume better, to to follow these simple steps and um, adjust their consumption in a way that's better for them and better for the environment. And then the number two part is that on a bigger level, that businesses and policymakers will begin to really support those kinds of behaviors, and that will ultimately shift the economic system that we live in. So it's a tall order. But I think, you know, it's not only up to the individuals, like, yes, we need to shop differently. Yes, we can take action right now and buy more used goods. But we also need to build the systems that support that behavior so that, again, for you to pass on your entertainment unit becomes really easy. Or Well, and it has to, to be built, and it has to be built well enough right. to last not only through its original use, my use, but to move on to someone else's use. Exactly. It needs to be designed in the first place for a long life. Maybe even for, you know, maybe, wouldn't it be great if it could go back to where, you know, maybe it goes back to where you bought it and it gets refurbished or painted. And so for the, you know, for the next owner, it looks or feels different. Like it doesn't just have to be, sometimes when we think of reuse, we think, oh, it's just like a kind of, you know, thrifty basement with with a bunch of old-fashioned stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. There's all kinds of exciting models for, for reuse. Everything from uh, like some of the clothing startups like ThreadUp and Poshmark and Rent the Runway to there's now two um, department stores, in uh, one in Sweden and I believe the other's in Germany, where they're selling used, repaired, refurbished goods. And so it's kind of exciting to imagine. Imagine you walked into a Target And a third of the stuff was new, but was really well made. And a third of it was used, but had been refurbished or, you know, so it's a lower price, but it's still in good shape. And then there's a service center or a repair center. Like, wouldn't that be a really interesting way to shop? Yes, it would. I'd go (laughs) for it. Hey, unfortunately, we got to wrap it up there, Sandra. But uh, I always give guests an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about obviously the book fixation how to have stuff without breaking the planet is a great place to start but do you have a website i do it's sandragoldmark.com perfect sandra thanks for spending this time with me this morning i really appreciate it thank you so much and good luck with your with your boxes of chargers <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Maybe it's time to let them go. <laughs> I, I think so, and I think of all the time I could have been working on that and haven't yet. Um, oh, right, the COVID project. But thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. Sandra Goldmark, author of How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. 
we haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Through streets that are narrow Her barrow is narrow Her hips are too wide So wherever she wheels it The neighborhood feels it Her girdle keeps scraping The homes on each side In Dublin's fair city Where girls are so pretty my Molly stands out cause she weighs 18 stone. That's 256 pounds. I don't mind her fat, but... It's not only that, but... She's cockeyed and muscle-bound. Molly Malone. Oh, a man, his name is Lang, and he has a neon sign. And Mr. Lang is very old, so they call it Old Lang Sign. Oh, what have you done, Billy Sal, Billy Sal? Oh, what have you done, Charming Billy? You took almost every cent from the U.S. government Which you spent on fertilizer, which is silly <laughs> All day, all night, Cary Grant That's all I hear from my wife is Cary Grant What can he do that I can't? Big deal, big star, Cary Grant. Oh, the moon is bright tonight upon the car wash. So I'm having my Volkswagen washed again. But the way things go with me, the way my luck runs, just as soon as they're finished, it will rain. On top of old Smokey, all covered with hair. Of course, I'm referring to Smokey the Bear. Here's a famous old folk song that you all know entitled Aura Lee. Every time you take vaccine, 
take it or I'll leave As you know, the other way is more painfully My grandfather's clock was the best ever made by the Timex company Just like the clock John Cameron Swayze displayed last night on the old TV Oh, it works underwater so perfectly And it still makes a ticking sound Which my grandfather tried only this afternoon And that's how the old man drowned Do not make a stingy sandwich pile the cold cuts high Customers should see salami coming through the right Oh, I diet all day and I diet all night It's enough to drive me bats Got no gravy or potatoes Cause the whole refrigerator's full of polyunsaturated fats Fairly well, Metrical And the others of that ilk let the diet start tomorrow, cause today I'll drown my sorrow in a double malted milk. When you go to the delicatessen star, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. I repeat what I just said before. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Oh, buy the corned beef if you must The pickled herring you can trust And the lox puts you in orbit A-OK -okay. But that big hunk of liverwurst Has been there since October 1st And today is the 23rd of May So when you go to the delicatessen star Don't buy the liverwurst don't buy the liverwurst Don't buy the liverwurst It'll make your insides awful sore Don't buy the liverwurst Don't buy the liverwurst This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. has something its Rotary Club can boast of Some product that the state produces the most of Rhode Island is little but Oh my It has a product anyone would buy Beaches come from Georgia And lobsters come from Maine The wheat fields are the sweet fields of Nebraska And Kansas 
gets bonanzas from the grain. Old whiskey comes from old Kentucky. Ain't the country lucky? New Jersey gives us glue. So 
I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine the last until July Oh super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable Contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable. Hi, I'm Alexander Zajic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.